Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good morning, Jundo. What's up today? Is today a joke? You said you wanted to do an episode on decluttering, <laughs> and people can't see here, but I'm in my office. My desk looks like it's, it needs one of those signs, genius at work, because it's got piles of papers. <laughs> like, some of the things are from three years ago. I'm going to get to them. Then it's got my bookcase behind, you know, the Zen of no words, and I got a whole bookcase <laughs> of all the Zen books about no words. You know, it, it, you can't say it in language. Uh, what's our subject? We were going to talk about your decluttering tips today. What am I, Maria Kondo? You know, the <laughs> Japanese woman? By the way, she turned out to be, I don't want to say, we don't criticize people in in no in Zen, so I can't say she turned out to be a phony. She ended up, turned out to be someone who was filled with phoniness. I don't know what to say. She wasn't phony, but what happened is she came down to earth because she had a kid. She had a kid. And she would always go to those people's houses. They always had 12 kids, and every closet was filled. And she would say, no, 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 you have to be spiritual. If it brings you joy, keep it, yes. you know. And then she had one kid, one kid, yep. and it all went out the window, right? Yeah. So, all right. So, anyway. Well, you know, she called her method the Con Marie Method. I think the title in there, the word Khan is a suggestion. Of course, it's K-O-N because her name in is spelled in Western alphabet, K-O-N-D-O, but the Khan Marie method. Now she sells, I think, crystals and stuff on her website. She's gone full Gwyneth Paltrow. The Maria Cohen method, Jundo Cohen method for, for simplifying your life. Let's try this. Let's try it. Now, I don't, I, I don't feel it's wrong to see all those books behind you and, and, when you see some of Jundo's videos, you can see this bookshelf. Because even if Zen is the transmission without words, there's still a whole foundation to the thought that gets to the without words. And you're more like a, well, you're a professional translator, but in Zen, you're more like a translator, translating these ideas and the sutras and the commentaries that have been built up over centuries, you're translating them into the wordless transmission. You're darn right. You know, it's all about culture. Civilization struggled for millions of years to get to basic literacy and then to have some knowledge. And that includes Buddhism. It took them 500 years just to learn to write what was with those people. They couldn't write anything. That's right. They didn't have any books. Everything that they transmitted was oral, which meant that one person heard a teaching and then told it to another, but made some changes because he didn't remember it exactly, then told it to another because he didn't remember it. What was the joke that someone posted on the forum about the medieval scribe that found a typo? A guy goes into the Buddhist library and he's going through the old dusty books and he sees, you know, the, the and he, they find him crying and they say, why are you crying? And it, 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 it's not that it says celebrate, it says celebrate, celebrate. <laughs> That's the reason. But in, in all, all seriousness, the books behind me 
represent accumulated wisdom. And the point about not being tied to the words is not about being ignorant. People like Dogen, the other great Zen masters, were very well educated for their time, not only in Buddhism, but in the surrounding culture. We don't want to get rid of that. We just don't want to be a prisoner of knowledge. If you look at videos by Shaku Ukumura uh, online, you'll see that he's in this room, kind of like yours, with masses of books all over the wall. Very smart guy. Knows many things. We don't want to give that away. Because you can't transmit all that culture orally, or otherwise, you would have to spend, you know, 16 hours a day with a Zen teacher while he's teaching you everything, and you're not going to remember it anyway. That's another thing. As we get older, having things in books means we don't have to remember them, and we can look them up again. That's right, except who uses books these days? It's all digital. And, and basically, my iPhone does what it took 20 scribes in the past to do, and 100 people remembering things orally in the past. My phone just does it at the push of a button. But do I need an iPhone? What do you think? Is, that, is the modern smartphone a necessity? It depends on where you live. Um, Here in the UK, you actually need to use the internet to do things like file taxes. You can't do them on paper anymore. There are things that you cannot do without internet access, which means that the government has to ensure that people in the most rural areas have internet access of some sort, whether um, through uh, cables or fiber or over a telephone. So it would be very hard to do everything we need today without some sort of connected device. I I don't know a Zen group these days that isn't somehow online. And the reason I probably know them is because they're online. The ones who are not online, who knows them? They're not online. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, a lot of Zen groups criticized Treeleaf early on for creating an online sangha. And then, what do you know? We have a pandemic, and let's go online, and everyone's doing online stuff. Now, they're still doing physical. Are you blaming uh, the pandemic on us? I missed the point there. No, I'm I'm, I'm blaming the short-sightedness of people obsessed by tradition, thinking that we can't evolve with technology and continue to transmit Zen. All through Asia, there are monks from Thailand to Tibet, from Seoul, Korea to Tokyo, who are carrying smartphones. They're very useful. They keep us connected. Now, just like the books behind me, there's a time to put them down. There's a time to disconnect. There's a time to to unplug. There's a time to burn the books, figuratively. Mm, No, figuratively. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Figuratively. Yeah, okay. This is all Zen. Do your practice. Simplify. Go back to the way of a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. Unplugged. No thrills. Then when you're done, go back and plug in again. Reconstitute the ashes of the book. Study more. There's a place for all things. We don't want to live like a thousand years ago, though. We didn't have antibiotics. We didn't have modern medicine. We didn't have modern surgery. We didn't have heating or air conditioning, for example. We were sick all the time. We didn't live very old unless we were lucky. In some ways, we do want to live like a thousand years ago because they had a certain simplicity. They knew that you didn't need, need, with a capital N, some of the things we think we need now, like tennis shoes. 
Just before I came here, it's a hot summer's day. I switched on the air conditioner. Okay? Why? Because it's there. I said, I can't live with it. Oh, it's kind of sticky in here. I, 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 I'm going to... Here, ping, ping, ping. I put on the air conditioning. And there it is. Now, 150 years ago, I would have gone, oh, uh, let me put on the air conditioner. Oh, I'm sorry. It hasn't been invented for another century. Can't do it. <laughs> Gotta wait. Now, I'll tell you a funny story. There's the AHG Monastery in Tokyo that rebuilt their Sodo, their monks' hall, where you sit Zazen. But they, they did it in the traditional way, but they put in central air. So you're sitting there. I, I've had this wonderful experience. It's a lovely place. The woodwork was done by craftsmen in the old way. The room is beautiful. But they have, you know, the air conditioner. And the Roshi is sitting there in his special spot. He gets the remote control. <laughs> so you're sitting there, and there's silence. They ring the bell. Bing. 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 And then a few minutes later, you hear... He's, he's adjusting the remote control. It's a little warm. <laughs> you know, you got to get the room right. So, you see, even the monks, if you give them the air conditioning, if you give them these things that they didn't have for 2,000 years, suddenly we need it. Doesn't Dogen say, I think in Fukan Zazengi, that you should sit Zazen in a place that's not too warm and not too cold? He wasn't talking about the thermostat. <laughs> You know, and he would, you know, and I would think Dogen, with all due respect, living in the 13th century, his idea of too hot, too cold was a little different than ours, because that meant like, oh, put a little extra coal on the on the coal fire, you know, you're in, the, and then he moved to AEG, was in the mountains. The, the, I've been in places like this. They open the windows during Zen, and the snow is falling on your shoulders while you're sitting there shivering during Zazen, and you have to find a kind of inner warmth inside, mm. which you can do, by the way. Mind over matter. Is this one of these yogi tricks? You can raise your body temperature? The Tibetans know this, and I, I'm going to tell you, because I've been there, if you need to, you could say, I'm going to just find the warmth in me because I'm sitting here and, and I'm freezing, really shivering here, and you can find a certain inner warmth. We've just lost this because we don't have it anymore. It's the same way like the groceries down the street, I'm going to drive. Could I walk? Yes, of course I could walk. A hundred years ago, they walked to the, the shopping mall. <laughs> what, you drive to the grocery store? I get groceries delivered now. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the new way. Yeah, now we got to get delivered. Next is going to be the drone is going to come and just drop them. I, I want that machine from the Jetsons where you push the button and the food comes out. And the guy still complains how hard he's working, right? Yeah, yeah. But think about think about back, let's go a thousand years ago. They were plowing fields with oxen. They were doing hard physical, physical labor. They were chopping wood. They were carrying water. They didn't have the time that we did to reflect, to think. I remember when I was a student in China about 30 years ago, I, 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 I was in the countryside and I met this farmer. My Chinese was very broken, but it was enough to talk to him. And he said, oh, where are you from? You're not Chinese, I think. No, I'm not Chinese. He, he, he got that. Where are you from? America. <laughs> oh, America. Very rich country. Your father must have many water buffalo. <laughs> so I said, yes, my father has a, 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 a four, four water buffalo in the garage. <laughs> so 
So now, he, uh, how many water buffalo do I have? I need a car. Soon I will need a drone, maybe a transporter like in Star Trek. All these things that when they become available, then we need them. I don't know if we always need them when they become available. Some people need things that are different from others. Some people, I'm in a rural area, you're in a small town near farms as well, right? So we have different needs. If I lived in a city, I wouldn't need a car, right? So the the question of need is relative to where you live, to the work you do, things like that. All the farmers here in the little village where I live, they drive Mercedes Benz. They're not driving water buffalo anymore. They all have cars. They all have uh, the most advanced farm machines. And by the way, the Japanese, if they need to get in the fields to work, you're not going to find many young Japanese doing it. Yeah. They're bringing people from China, Southeast Asia, Sri Lanka, here to Japan, just like we bring people from Mexico or the people in Britain might be, I don't know, you bring people from France. I don't know where you bring them, but uh, you bring people. Well, they used to bring them from Eastern Europe until Brexit. Now, fruit rots in the fields of farms because there aren't enough people to pick it. But that's political. That's another story. We're talking about needs and decluttering, and it's not just the books and the cars and the air conditioning. It's everything. It's, I think it's that we're in a capitalist system that prods us constantly to want things and to buy things. And that want is dukkha, right? They're capitalizing on the fact that our nature leans toward dukkha. By the way, isn't this the time for our commercial break? Who's our sponsor this week? <laughs> uh, what are we selling? Yes. I think, and I mentioned before the show, that this year's British summer is sponsored by Big Antihistamine. This is the highest pollen levels we've had for a long time. Continuous. It's been a week, 10 days so far. Very high pollen. And I'm grateful for air conditioners because I can keep the windows closed to keep the pollen out. There you go. And you're gra grateful for antihistamine. I'm grateful for antihistamines. So isn't this the lesson that we can take from the past and choose wisely what is truly good and necessary and helpful, and what is just some tennis shoes we don't need, or uh, you know, well, you need shoes. It's not a question of shoes. It's a question of having twelve pairs of shoes. How many do you have? I have the same plastic pair of shoes I've had for five years. I'm very proud of it, and my kids hate me for it. That's pretty good. Yes. Okay. I'm wearing some of the same t-shirts I had. Before I moved to Japan, 25 years ago. I can tell. You can, and my kids are very <laughs> embarrassed. All right? I, I have... Now, the fortunate thing is I have pants in all weights I've been mm. since that time. So I just now am moving back down because I've been, you know, reducing weight. I'm now five years ago where I was in weight, and I have still have the pants. So it, it saves me... That's practical. You know, yeah. It is practical. I went with my daughter to uh, Harajuku, Takeshitadori, one of the teen hotspots. This is where you want to come. And I bought my daughter, because she's my daughter, she's 12 years old, I bought her a t-shirt. And I bought nothing. Is this supposed to be an act of contrition, or...? No, it means I'm cheap. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you're an ascetic, so you didn't buy anything in the, in, in the fancy I'm a cheap ascetic. But, you know, if you go to the Zen temples, like Dogen's temple, they had lots of stuff. And if you go to the modern Buddhist temple, they have lots of stuff. What Dogen said was there was a time to go to the mountain and live in a hut. And he'd do that a couple of weeks, you know, go up there, 
and I'd go into the cabin. Then he'd come back to the temple. Now, of course, it was the 13th century, so they didn't have the stuff we have. But compared to other people in the 13th century, they did pretty good. They had art and statues. They did have the books that they had. They had places to sleep. They had medicine. They had buildings. They had buildings for many different purposes. They had kitchens, right? They had water buffaloes. They had fields run by peasants mm. who had water buffaloes and would take some of what they grew and give it, kick it back to the temple. Right. So there were serfs who were providing food to the monks. The whole thing about the monks growing everything themselves, mm. I don't think that ever happened for a few reasons. The Buddha said, don't grow monks, don't grow anything yourself, you might kill something. That's what they said. Receive it in your bowl, and they would take donations. So they would go out in the villages and collect food from people who were running businesses and growing things. Right. Sorry, we're getting into a little Buddhist economics here, but this is a fact. Then it came to China and Japan, and the big government, basically the government, the warlords, would assign fields to the temples. So they would say, this is your village, this is your fields. And part of the tax money from that would go back to the temple. And plus, people would just donate things. The monks were very rarely actually out in the fields growing things. Mm. So isn't our modern economic system kind of like that? I'm not in the factory building my iPhone. I'm not in the farm, even today, growing my vegetables. That's the Sri Lankan guy that I see in the field over here. Uh, I don't think we've changed that much. What we what has changed is the variety of choices we have has become too much. You were talking about AHG Temple earlier. Do they have a gift shop now? Oh, they have a magnificent <laughs> gift shop, and they they have a, a kind of a, a hotel. It's a magnificent thing. The place ha is on on various acres of land. The buildings are magnificent. the The artwork is priceless. They have stuff, but yeah, it's good stuff. Why is it good stuff? Why is it any better than the other stuff? Isn't it all whatever tchotchkes they're selling? Aren't they all made in China anyway? First off, they're not tchotchkes. <laughs> I, you know, I understand something. Something can have a little meaning to it. You buy a little incense. No, I understand that. It the, the meaning's related to the context, right? You go to the temple, you buy the incense there, and it's the temple incense. So it has more value than the incense you get from Amazon. Right. They have priceless artwork, but I mean, they're Buddhist artwork that convey a message. They have these magnificent buildings, but think of all that's happening inside the buildings. I, I would say it's valuable. For example, the, the, our government buildings, the, the Capitol building, right? When we're not smashing in the windows and charging in, I mean. Yeah. The, the Capitol building is a magnificent ancient building that is supposed to have something precious going on inside it. And the Buddhist buildings are the same. Uh, they, they, of course, they're they're beautiful and they're kind of priceless and they're filled with artwork. But it's it's for a good reason. Do they have cool T-shirts in the gift shop? They do. They do. I'd really like you to send me an AHG T-shirt. That would be really awesome. I'm pro I'm sure you can get them on your iPhone these days online. <laughs> so, uh, talking about stuff and looking again at the 
How can I describe the arrangement of books behind you? Well, anyone can look at John Doe's YouTube videos and see them. What I find really useful is every now and then, every couple of years, move all your stuff around and rearrange it. Like all those books that are on the side and leaning over, rearrange them. It's a good thing. Now, the Japanese have an interesting tradition. Does it take place at the end of the year where they take everything out of their house and they clean and then they bring everything back in and rearrange it? There's a, a, a tradition called hoshiboshi. Uh, Hoshiboshi, right? In uh, in uh, temples where they open up all the treasures, supposedly they get the bugs out. That's what Hoshiboshi mm. means, get the bugs out. And then they wrap them up and they put them back in the warehouse again. I don't have to rearrange my books. Do you know why? I have no organization system at all. Every time I look for a book, I have to start at the top, go down every shelf looking for it. I get to the end and I realize, oh, wait a second, I bought it digitally these days. I don't even have a copy. <laughs> it's on my Kindle. <laughs> I've got Zen books that I've bought twice because I forgot that I have one copy. So I find someone I can send it to who can benefit from it. But I tend to forget things like that as well. But it's more a fact that if you take all your books out and rearrange them, you will see them all again and you will remember them. I don't want to read them all again. I read them once. It's going to take me another. No, no, no. Just seeing the covers and being reminded of which books you have. Ah, well, uh, you know, I had a friend call me just this week, and he said he's just clearing out he wants to give away his Zen books. And I said, what happened? Did you become a Scientologist? He said, no, no, I'm still a serious Zen guy. <laughs> I just have read all these. I don't need them. And I think someone else could benefit. That's what I should do. I should give them away to others who might benefit. How many things do we have? This is what we started this episode to a answer the question. We need to leave people with a rule of thumb. What do we truly need? And what should we do away with? Am I Maria Kondo who says, if it brings you joy, you know, keep it. Otherwise, dump it out. And by the way, then dump it out and buy something new because you got all this open yeah. space. That, that's yep. what the lesson became there. I would say the lesson of simplicity is vitally important to Zen people. Truly ask yourself, what do you need in life? Modern medicine, they didn't have it in the 13th century. We got it now. Keep it. Okay. Air conditioning, it's on the borderline. I, I vote for keeping air conditioning. You can, but I had a dear friend in Florida who refused to put it on and said, if you do that, you know what? The body adjusts and you, after a while, you don't need it. And he was right. He was right. People live for thousands of years without it. Once you have it, you need it. There are many things like that. People lived for thousands of years with a with temperatures that are not as high as they are today, don't forget. And particularly, you're talking, you talked about Dogen's time in the 13th century. Temperatures around the world were much cooler. I just read a book about this recently, about how climate has varied so much over time. I don't know. People were in Tibet, didn't have heating. They had, you know, a little fire. People were in Brazil. They didn't have air conditioning. I, I, I would beg to disagree. Even uh, analgesics, pain relievers, I've heard some very good explanations by doctors about we are more sensitive to pain now precisely because we have more expectation that give me a shot, the pain will go away. A hundred years ago, you wonder, my God, what did they do? They went to the dentist. They didn't have anesthesia. The guy had his limbs cut off. And what, they gave him a bullet and a shot of brandy. What was going on there? You know, how did they do this? Well, the point was mind over matter came naturally to a lot of folk. It's these days where we have a little pain, a little suffering, and we demand more. And the more comfortable life gets, the more we demand. 
Wasn't there a, a science fiction animation movie called Wally about the people yes. who have been on the yeah. ship? And they're just in the ship and they're all grown fat and they're in their leisure chairs and they don't even know how to get out of the chair anymore because they're so used to it. We could become like that if we're not careful. Yeah, but anyway, we were talking about stuff, and I think stuff in general is interesting. So you were talking about your desk, right? Genius at work, something like that. My desk used to be the kind where I would say to people, well, I know where everything is, right? A couple years ago, I decided, I, I understood that as I work, all that stuff on my desk is visual static, that it just distracts me just slightly. So my desk is extremely clean now. I still have a couple of steps to remove things, but there's nothing superfluous. There's my computer, my keyboard, um, speakers. I've got a microphone on a stand, you know, all the things I need for work. But I don't have piles of paper and books and stacks of stuff sitting around. You can't do this in your entire house or apartment, but it's good maybe to have one space that has less visual static, I think. I think that our Zen room should basically be empty. A Zafu, bare walls, maybe a single work of art, maybe a flower. This is in the tea ceremony. They have a room laid bare, just the tea bowl, a scroll, the flower of the season, light delicately coming through some paper windows, and that's all you need. Anything you add on to that makes complexity. Do they have air conditioning in the tea room? I'm sure that there are some modern ones where they do. And as a matter of fact, I know there is, but no, you don't need it. <laughs> now, some of those tea vessels, by the way, the one bowl, the one scroll, yeah. the one flower will set you back many tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, you know, you got to pay, you got to pay for simplicity, even in the modern Zen and tea world. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I'm going to go buy something. No, I'm not. I'm going to give it away. Well, I'm in a dilemma. What am I going to do? Let's simplify. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.